What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smart Moment channel, where we are now in 2003 and going through all of these episodes of Smackdown up until the point where Paul Heyman is no longer the head writer. But on this journey back in time, joining me as always, Callum Wiggins, is Robert DeFelice. Callum, Happy New Year, Happy 2021, Happy 2003. I don't know which one I'm more excited about at the moment, but we're here. Well, we're finally free of 2020, so that is at least one thing to be excited yes. about. But it also means we're free of 2002, and 2002 was a solid year for the SmackDown brand, I think was to say. It got a little bit sideways towards the back end of 2002, but there were a lot of great matches, a lot of great things to talk about. The debut of John Cena, the all the stuff involved in the Super Six, the rise of Brock Lesnar as the top guy in the company, the big show's rejuvenation. So I'm hoping that 2003, at least in the short amount of time, the couple of months still going to be checking out these episodes will at least deliver to a certain degree at that at that level as well. Yeah, and I think while we're here, I just want to give a final shout out to The Rock, who had a great 2002 and really a great final run on television. And it was a lot more fun than I thought it would be going back and checking all that stuff out. But now we are here in 2003. There is a young Shelton Benjamin. There is a young John Cena. And the future of SmackDown is looking bright with Paul Heyman at the helm for the next eight weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. So, of course, I want to invite everyone that's listening to this who's joined us from the transition from 2002 over to 2003 to leave a like and a comment below. Let us know how you're enjoying the series so far. Let us know what your plans are for 2021 or if you're looking forward to the 2003 run of SmackDown now. Um, of course, if you're listening to us through one of the podcast feeds like iTunes or Stitcher or something of that ilk, then leave us a rating or a review if you could be so kind to. There's obviously a playlist on the YouTube channel where you can check out all the episodes of Paul Heyman's Smackdown podcast up until this point, and the link in the description to this episode of Smackdown on the WWE Network if you have not checked it out already. So as per usual, let's start off with a little bit of news. There's nothing super exciting today. Actually, I might even start off with the fact of saying that we're not going to be doing a review of Raw because Raw wasn't an episode that we can do a review of because it was a 2002 best-of show. Yeah, I think they do one more of these in 2003, and I don't know if they return to that format ever again. Yeah, so it's um, a bit unfair to give Raw any sort of rating on this one because, of course, they didn't really get any sort of real numbers for this show. SmackDown, if in case you're wondering, got a, scored a 3.91, so basically mirroring what they did in the last show of 2002. So, yeah, it's, it's fairly consistent at this point with the ratings. So looking down my like ratings list between now and the end of the year, it seems to just consistently hover around the somewhere between 3.8 and 4.0 range. So, so we're, we're, they're, on a, they're on very stable ground at the moment. Yeah, and I dare say these are numbers they would kill for today. Oh, absolutely. But it isn't numbers. Well, that's part of the news that we're going to talk about. It's not numbers that UPN are apparently super interested in because... There are still a lot of rumours circulating at this point in time that UPN are planning on cutting SmackDown, despite the fact that it is their most consistently highly rated show. Ahead of even which is, the Vampire Slayer at this point. Which is dumb. Like, UPN, I feel like, is fondly remembered now, but at the time, UPN didn't have too much going for it, and SmackDown was one of the key consistencies. I don't know why they would want to cut that program. Well, it was not obviously not due to the ratings they're receiving or the millions of viewers that are tuning in. It was due to the fact that, as we've spoken about a little bit on this podcast and 
I think maybe it, we touched on it a little bit on 2001 and Wrestling Odyssey as well, which you can also check out on the Smart Moment channel. Um, advertising is the issue with uh, professional wrestling in the fact that SmackDown, despite being one of the highest rated shows on that network, was also in the bottom five for the amount of money that their advertising generated. Hmm. So it's just the issue with the fact that it's an issue that follows professional wrestling, especially at this point in time, is that wrestling appeals to the lowest common denominator. And if it appeals to, I guess, rednecks and people from very low working class backgrounds, those are people that aren't going to be spending money. I think this is a great discussion to have when we talk about the oh, the dreaded move to the PG era. And really, honestly, a lot of the reason that was is because of this. They wanted better advertisers. They could, I mean, Bod Man Body Spray isn't breaking in all the dollars. You know, they wanted the National Guard and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So this left SmackDown in a little bit of a sticky situation because WWE, after moving to TNN and also UPN, which were all under the same Viacom family, along with CBS, MTV, a couple of other radio, uh, a couple of other TV stations as well, uh, WWE had a non-complete uh, contract with Viacom, which meant that if SmackDown was to have been removed from UPN, unless they could find another Viacom station that was willing to hold it, they wouldn't be able to show SmackDown. Until That's their contract really with Viacom ended. Ha. Huh. Which it did in 2005 when they moved back to um, uh, USA for Raw with that homecoming special. I remember that felt like such a big deal. And nowadays it really seems like that really was home and that's where they should have been all along. You know? Yeah, the uh, ratings definitely took a tumble once they moved to uh, TNN. But... And then obviously it would eventually become Spike and eventually would pick up TNA for a while. So wrestling would not be far removed from uh, Spike for a while, at least. For at least until, what, 2014? So I think we've got to... fucked it up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we've got a long time. Um, There was also the idea circulating that UPN had proposed to SmackDown, at the very least, to cut the episodes to around about 60 to 90 minutes, and then they would put a sitcom on after the show which was aimed towards SmackDown's biggest demographic at the time, which was the male aged uh, 12 to 34, or 18 to 34, sorry. And, um, yeah, so it's the idea of, like, they wanted to use SmackDown's leading audience to go into this sitcom, and then a sitcom would be more likely to have significant advertising surrounding it as well. So it means that they could have the episode of SmackDown, use the positive momentum that it generates by just attracting fans in, and then present them with a more ad-friendly form of programming at the end of it. But SmackDown refused to budge from the contract they originally signed, which said that they would get a two-hour program. Yeah. I don't know why, for some reason, the ratings nowadays have moved to that much wider gap of 18 to 49. I always liked the very targeted 18 to 34, because that feels like a concise demographic i think once you widen that from less than 20 and basically 50 who are you really marketing to because that's too wide of a spectrum or at least in my opinion so i think at least back then i i feel like they were more tuned into what they were actually offering people and they should have taken upn up on that because honestly shows are better when they're shorter i think we've learned that now more than ever and maybe it could help them. 
the other news related was also TV related. It's involving Raw this time. So they were talking about uh, Meltzer in the Observer did a big piece referring to uh, raw rating swings for the main event segment. So essentially, who on the roster was in when they were in the main event was throughout 2002 was boosting the well, actually since the brand split actually specifically, but since since the brand split happened, who on the raw roster was consistently boosting up ratings and boosting up viewership between the second to last segment and in the main event. Um, who can you have a guess who was at number one? It's not Triple H, by the way. It's not Triple H, okay. It's gonna be a wild one, but is it Trish? It's not Trish, it is a, it is a male. It is a male, okay. Um, is it Booker? Booker was number two, huh? It was actually Kane. That's wild. So, Kane. In terms of averaging for when he was in the main events of the show, the the ratings went or the viewership went up over five hundred thousand when Kane was in main events. Now, now what course, do you think that is? Well, of course, there's there's a lot of factors involved in it, so it's not just due to the fact that Kane was in the main event. It's who Kane is in the main event with. Obviously, Kane was involved in that big TLC ladder match, so that had a big effect because that was a big ratings mover for them in the main event of that segment. Um, there's just a lot of yeah, so. But it's just the idea that Kane was involved a lot towards the back end of 2002. Maybe the fact that he had a shorter window working in because he was off TV from, I think, very early in the Raw run. Then he was injured for a while. He came back post-SummerSlam. Maybe that had something to do with it. There's a lot of factors involved in it. But yeah, I, I, I feel like just consistently popular as well. So, And I, I think here's an underrated element. Kane and Triple H are probably the only two ties on the red brand to The Rock, to Stone Cold. You know, like, mm. Kane is a name that people would remember from 1998, 1999. Yeah. So Meltzer listed the uh, top eight for this one, which was Kane top, obviously, with 579,000. Uh, Booker T was next with 394,000. Then it was Triple H. Obviously, Triple H got the most main event segments at this point in time, but he was still third place. Then it was Jericho. Jeff Hardy, Rob Van Dam, Ric Flair, and then in a pretty distant eighth place, Shawn Michaels. Well, I feel like Shawn still at that point wasn't around. No, well, no, but it just it just relates to the average that he did in main event segments. Right. So, so eh. basically, any 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 point where he was in the main event of the show or in the main event act at the end of the show, it just counts those results for him and the average that he added to it, which was less than a hundred thousand. That's all of that is very shocking to me. All that actually says is let's put some money behind Jeff Hardy, which I guess they would have tried to do. Yeah. Didn't get a chance to. He, I mean, he gets released in a couple of months time, so they don't really get too much chance to do that as well. But I think it's something that may shock you even more is something else related to Shawn Michaels, which is they did a, Meltzer also did like an overall look at what difference that his segments made to the segment prior to it in terms of rate, in terms of uh, viewership. And apparently from Shawn Michaels, any, every segment that he was involved in 2002 averaged out to a plus 3,030 additional fans. Just 3,000 additional ones. If you compare that to Triple H, you added 164,000 in every segment he was involved. Victoria, 151,000 in the segment she was involved in. And Bubba Ray Dudley, even 136,000. Michaels was adding 3,000. So let me ask you. 
Do you think this is because at that time, even a guy like Shawn Michaels was seen as like, oh, well, that's old school. A lot of those fans have already left. Because Mel, Mel, I mean, Meltzer did refer to the fact in the um, in the Observer that he just he referred to Michaels' return as a flop, and that Michaels wasn't moving any needles or getting any real attention because I think a lot of people. I mean, I don't want to say this too much because again, there's a lot of factors involved in it. There's a lot of other things involved in every segment. So it might be the fact that Michaels was always next to some big moving like things that had a decent amount of viewership, and then it was his segment, so it was difficult to add any more to it. There's a lot of factors involved. You'd have to do like a really detailed analysis to it, but there is the general consensus that Michaels was not the the ratings mover or the huge star of the likes of an Austin or Rock or anything like that that's really going to move the needle for the company by him coming See, back. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that is something that has plagued Shawn Michaels' whole career, where like we love him because we like the in-ring product, and I think as the brand and as the industry has moved more in-ring focus, Shawn Michaels has taken more center stage, but there is always that stigma of like, Sean failed as champion. Sean failed as a draw, you know. Even though he instituted a lot of the attitude ideals, he wasn't around for all of that. And that's something that they even alluded to towards, like, the back end of his career, that for a while he did hold some bitterness about not being involved in the Attitude Era. And I just wonder if all of this adds to that. Because really, Shawn Michaels should be moving more viewership. I believe he would start to do once they realised that he was back. And I think it was just the idea that right now his nostalgia isn't working. But when he comes back, he starts just being a top star in the brand. Then he starts to move things forward again. It's just at the moment, they just see him as a nostalgia act that they don't really care about. That's so crazy. So let's talk a little bit about this episode of SmackDown. I've got the news out of the way. So it's January 2nd, 2003, from the Tingley Coliseum in Albuquerque, New Mexico. From the what Coliseum? Tingley. Wow, okay. Um, as in your hands are like, feeling numb or something. Yeah, wow. Uh, I, I've never heard that name before. That's a very interesting name for a venue. I, I assume it's not called that anymore. It's probably called like like the, the like Coke Arena or something like the, that. The Nicole Center or whatever. Like no, it's, it's still called the Tingley Coliseum. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah, an 11,571-seat multi-purpose arena in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Originally built as a ra- rodeo and horse show auditorium, because of course. Wow, the Tingley Center. Come watch the rodeo at the Tingley Center, kids. Coliseum. Uh, the Tingley Coliseum. Oh, even better. Um, so the opening video package here highlights Brock Lesnar returning to the ring tonight and the marriage of Dormery and Al Wilson, which sure are basically your two, your top of the hour and your main event segments. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, it's a wedding. A wedding's always going to be like one of the highest billed segments on the show. Yeah. I wish but, it wasn't. No, but, <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about it. There's obviously a lot to cover with that. So... Uh, but we have our opening contest straight away, which is John Cena versus Rikishi. Uh, the feud to end all feuds, am I right, Cal? Yeah, these guys have been feuding for a while. Um, Cena cuts a rap on his way to the ring about Rikishi being fat, including lines about how his ass looked like chewed bubble gum, and he Aww. was sweating grease. You know, John... John, I feel like... 
has matured so much. It's almost like I'll, I'll go back in time a little bit here with you. I watched Goldmember recently, the Austin Powers movie with mm. uh, Beyonce. And you look at who Beyonce is today, and you go, oh, you're kind of above some of this, aren't you? And that's the way I feel about John Cena and some of his uh, rapping jokes in retrospect. Yeah, there was uh, the one line in particular caught my eye that I thought, oh, this doesn't age well. Uh, there was a Jared from Subway reference. And, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's a little bit like I. Whenever I think that, I just think of them. Was it the um the South Park uh, game? I know South Park made a lot of references to him anyway, but there was a. I think it was the um South Park fractured fractured but whole. Fractured but whole. Yeah, it just um that definitely had a um a scene with uh Jared coming out of a prison cell and you had to battle him in in some oh. instance of that. You know. Granted, okay, that one is, in particular isn't John's fault, but so many of these age so poorly, and it's it's laughable. But I think John Cena being able to rise above the crassness and really almost becoming the forefront of the opposite of that may be the success story of all success stories in WWE. So what do you think about him, oh, him rocking the uh, cargo shorts and knee pads? Uh, better than the floppy pants. But we're, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to, to where he'll be in about four or five months. Maybe even less than that. Yeah, so, um, so the match kicks off. Um, Rikishi at one point uh, gets him into the corner. B-squared drags Cena out of it to avoid getting the stink face. Um, Cena, so Rikishi comes outside, he knocks him down. Cena then distracts the referee. B squared then do- drives Rikishi into the apron to get the heat on him. Um, Cole says that they will announce some of the SmackDown participants for the Royal Rumble next week because we are on the road to the Royal Rumble. The, well, I guess both in real life and uh, and back in 2003 as well. And obviously that's the one of the biggest events of the year and something that we're going to be reviewing for Patreon, obviously in the dark cast here. But yeah, obviously the Royal Rumble signs to look forward to. Back then they had this shit down to a science. 15 from Raw, 15 from SmackDown, and these spots are precious. You don't see that today. It's just whoever we can muster up, especially nowadays, it's whoever we can muster up. But I've always enjoyed that. Yeah, they they were very much not... Because um, as far as I recall, I don't think 2003, they, they very much don't lean on su- surprise returns. That they do nowadays yeah i think there's that i can recall there are two returns and they're both advertised in advance mm. so so match continues uh cohen taz compare a b squared hat to a doily <sighs> I, some of this stuff is just like it's like it's almost not even funny it's sort of like yeah there's that you know you got that in there. Yeah, it's just the idea of Michael Cole calling someone else looking like a nerd or something like that. So, ah, just, it's yeah, so that, weird. Funny. Uh, B-Square tries to put his chain on the t- top turnbuckle, but the referee captures him, berates him. This means he misses Rikishi pinning Cena after a chokeslam attempt. Then there's this a convoluted ending. So Rikishi brings B-Square into the ring. Referee tries to break their fight up. Cena then pushes the referee. The referee thinks that Rikishi pushed him instead. Then Cena rolls up Rikishi, gets the free count. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, right? 
But you would feel the stark contrast if you were pushed by John Cena or if you were pushed by Rikishi. There's yeah, some weight I, difference there. There's some strength difference at this point. Yeah, also probably due to the fact that, you know, Rikishi's a, a baby face, so probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, but, <laughs> makes but, the ref look real dumb. Yeah, so it wasn't the greatest uh, opening match. The post-match was actually quite funny, though, because Rikishi chases after B-squared. And B squared falls over the barricade as he's escaping, so he has to like stumble a little bit because Rikishi's like, like standing right next to him, and so and but Rikishi's supposed to be chasing him, so Rikishi has to wait for like three seconds for B squared to get back to his feet and run off. But that was funny at very least. You can uh, see why B squared didn't hang around too much. I was gonna say, well, like we're we're getting towards the end of B squared, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it won't be too much longer. He does well, he does appear in the Royal Rumble though, so. That was, a, that was the spot. Well, I, I don't believe that who uh, Cena replaces him with is around for much longer either, though. No, I don't think so either. Or at least not with... Um, not with SmackDown. Not, not with SmackDown anyway. He ran for a little bit beyond that point. Um, so immediately after, wedding music plays, and Dawn Marie appears on the stage in her wedding dress. Uh, oh, Dawn we had to st- cover more than one wedding in this journey. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, to be fair, the first one was a commitment ceremony. You can't use <laughs> uh, wedding in that in That's that fair. At that point in time. Um, so Dawn says like she's a beautiful blushing bride. She loves her dress. But she doesn't intend to be wearing her dress during her vows. And she promises to marry Al Wilson in the nude. My first thought as, a, as an individual who now knows the price of weddings. Why'd you buy the dress? Why'd <laughs> you buy the dress if you didn't have any intention to wear again? Come on. Well, well, I guess the idea is that she's milking Al out of his money, or at least that's what we're supposed to believe. So he probably bought the dress, so she's wearing that, and then she decides, no, I really want to get the spotlight on me, so I'm going to get married in the nude instead. Uh, well, I guess that's... that's uh, to the rockets applause of the SmackDown crowd. Until they realise The crowd actually didn't really react to it when she said she's getting dressed in the nude. They basically just, like... But it basically was the same sound as when she before she started saying it. Yeah, so I don't they know cut what out the the cheers. Maybe either either that or it was just um because she we she, the way she pronounced that, it was pretty bad. These crowds are a very uh, libido driven bunch, and I'm sure they would cheer that. Or, or maybe it was just due to the fact of maybe if there wasn't a huge reaction, it was due to the fact of basically they do this and both Raw and SmackDown be doing this. They do this every single week or month at the very least where a diva says oh i'm gonna be stripping naked or like the oh, like, you think they've realized that no you're not yeah yeah so the idea of like nidia getting topless after her match or the stephanie mcmahon hla angle or anything to that lo- logic or even like the the dormery and tory stuff like showing as little as they did to an extent just the idea of okay i i, I don't actually think you can get married in the nude because you're on a TV show that shows at like eight to ten at night, and yeah, there's there's certain things you can get away with on certain shows from past that point, but you're not actually going to get naked, so don't try and insult her intelligence. That's a you know what fair thought though. So come back after a break. Stephanie enters the bridal suite, compliments Dawn, but she says that she has no problem with Dawn getting married, but she can't do it in the nude. Ah, Steph. Staff, yeah. uh, come on, just because none of your weddings worked out, why you, why you ruin this for the fans? Uh, so Dawn asks what would happen if the dress just happens to fall off. And <laughs> Stephanie says that, that she'll, there'll be some serious repercussions and then just leaves. So she just like 
uh, tries J- Dawn to just say, yeah, just try and Don't do it. Don't get married and naked, like, Dawn. Yeah. Like, stop it. <laughs> uh, Dawn then just smirks and asks uh, Jan, who's helping her get ready, like how serious those repercussions might be. Just to give you again a little tease, like saying, oh, she's not going to listen to our for- authority. Just like, you know, bless Jan. I hope Jan is doing well. Jan yeah. has been in a lot of these. I think it's one of the idea of like, is Dawn really a heel if she wants to get married in the nude? It's like, surely at this point in time, that's like the thing that turns you baby face, really. Yeah, I would imagine that she has never been a heel. I've told you this several times throughout this journey. I don't see the heel. Yes, she did manipulate Tori. That's like easily the worst thing that she did. But like throughout this whole journey, it's kind of been like, why are we supposed to boo you? Let's move on to another match. Bill DeMott versus Chuck Palumbo. Um, another enhancement talent entrance for Chuck Palumbo. Former tag team champion, as commentary reminds us as well. Just uh, I believe uh, in September, which is three months maybe before this, was called one half of the greatest tag team in WWE history by one Stephanie McMahon. Yeah. So, That's a thing that happened. Yeah, so how's the match with Bill DeMott? So... Plumbo hits a huge forearm, knocking Demont down early. Hits a big right hand at one point. Uh, Demont then hits a splash in the corner. Then it's just a load of like coming forearms to the back and rest holds and blahdy blahdy blah. In a build Demont match, you don't say. Yeah, it's incredibly dull. I'm amazed the crowd got behind Plumbo when he's escaping like this endless headlock that he's in. Um, Plumbo hits a belly to belly throw. I think that might have been the first actual wrestling move in this entire match. Uh, Demott then clotheslines Palumbo attempting discus punch he then hits an inverted DDT and pins Chuck Palumbo why are we not over Bill Demott yet well, it's not even just that I mean it's a boring match but it's just the idea of well, he didn't even use the moonsault why don't we just uh, that'll be the one entertaining part of this entire match is him hitting a moonsault and he can't even do that well goddamn pal these big guys need to know how to work they can't be flipping yeah, so, yeah, that was that was a thing that happened on this show. I don't want to talk about it too much because it bored the shit out of me. Um, we see something a bit more interesting, which is a promo video saying that the dead man will walk again at Royal Rumble. This, okay. I am not even ten yet. I am nine and a half, maybe. I believed that the dead man gimmick was coming back, and I was stoked. And they lie. Spoiler alert. He's not the dead man again for another year. This was so disappointing. Yeah, I was about to bring that up as well. Because basically, even though I wasn't like super following The Undertaker's career prior to this, because obviously this is when I started watching, but it's just the idea of he all the clips they show is of The Undertaker as the dead man or the phenom and not as American Badass. And But he does come back as the American Badass, The Undertaker, on his motorcycle and everything. So... Yeah, I can see why certain people would have been disappointed about this, how he this came back. upsetting mm. as a child. Like, I, I never liked the badass character. It always took me away out of it. I always thought, you know, he was better as the Undertaker character. And they just lied. They just manipulated your emotions. You know something else underwhelming? Uh, oh, let me guess. Is it the presence of Billy Kidman? Yes. <laughs> so Billy Kidman walked into Tori Wilson backstage. Tori says that her father may have had a point about her not being supportive of him last week. And 
even though she doesn't condone the wedding at all, she's there for him in spirit. Uh, Tori says that Dawn should be married nude because there's no way she'd be worried, uh, wearing white to get married. Because you, you know, would know Tori. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're part of the reason why that's the, that's the case. Yeah. yeah. Um, then Kidman does a really lame comedy impression of Al Wilson and Dawn Marie. All I could think about is, I wonder how many times after Sunday dinners when Al Wilson would go home that Billy Kidman did this impression of Al Wilson. <laughs> yeah, it was just hilarious that he's essentially mocking his own father-in-law in front of his wife. Oh yeah, because I'm sure, I'm sure that that's happened many times. Yeah. And it's it's so borderline offensive to me. You couldn't do this now with social media. But like, oh no, that's, that's Tori's friend. There's no way this dweeb would ever be regularly hooking up with Tori Wilson. Yeah, it just yeah, Tori has to stand there pretend that she's finding any of this funny. And then it mercifully ends uh just I'm so over Billy Kidman at this point. Like he was doing so well when he wasn't talking. Who would <laughs> you compare ha- him to on today's roster? I mean, like, there's a lot Humberto of like, Correa. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's perfect. A cruiserweight who is is fine enough to watch in the ring, but then when you try and give him any semblance of personality, it falls flat. Did you know that he wrestled Hulk Hogan on pay-per-view? So let's move on to uh, Josh Matthews interviewing Kurt Angle, who's flanked by Team Angle. Uh, First of all, I love that it's Josh Matthews and not Mark Lloyd. Yeah, at this point, I think Mark Lloyd is pretty much not on SmackDown anymore. So. He's on the okay, okay, pal. We're gonna have you host Afterburn and the Bottom Line or whatever. So he he asked that Angle if he's ready to we ready to defend his title against Chris Benoit at Royal Rumble because obviously he's still carrying a knee injury uh, or a recovering knee at the very least. Angle says that the question is if Benoit will be prepared after what happened last week. They show footage of the post match attack from the previous uh, week's main event where Team Angle beat beat up Chris Benoit. Uh, Matthews asked if he's worried about Benoit's partner for tonight when they take on Team Angle. Angle says that he isn't, but Benoit should be. Angle says the only thing that he worries him at all is keeping his gold polished. So obviously he's got both a gold medal and a gold a gold belt. I don't think he's ever mentioned the fact that he's got a gold medal, but uh, you it's worth pointing it, It's there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Angle says that the key word in WWE is wrestling. Of course, I assume Vince McMahon did not approve this. Uh, That's a Paul Heyman line, huh? Yeah. And that wrestling is what Team Angle does best. Uh, he bigs up both Huss and Benjamin, their collegiate accolades. Angle then says Benoit probably didn't even graduate from college and he would have only made the practice squad for his college's wrestling team at best if he did. I don't recall if Benoit had actually gone to college. I know that he obviously did some high school wrestling, but I think he just straight into the pros. Yeah, he is pretty much. It, it amazes me when you obviously watch him against them uh, matches with Kurt Angle in particular. The fact that he has no collegiate wrestling background or even like an, really any significant amateur wrestling background because he essentially from uh, in his late teens he joins the Heart Dungeon. So he yeah, you just, would really just... think like he must have been a, a proficient college champion or grappler. No, he's just a guy who liked technical wrestling yeah he's someone who just mirrored the work of bret hart and dynamite kid and got really good at that side of it as well so yeah but yeah he's completely pro wrestling trained 
So we move on to something good on the show, finally. Uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Billy Kidman. Um, so, Billy Kidman, great in the ring when, you're not, when he's not talking. Billy Kidman is very good. Eddie Guerrero, who is not a cruiserweight, they like to remind you that sometimes, uh, is one of the best of all time. I wish Billy Kidman had more charisma so we could have seen more of these guys together. So Eddie is now no longer rocking a mullet. He's down to you the know, short hair look. I don't like it. I gotta tell you, I, I think mullet Eddie in terms of looks maybe my favorite Eddie. And this Eddie with this short of a haircut, easily my least favorite look for Eddie Guerrero. So there's a monkey flip by Kidman as both guys like trade the advantage early on. Uh, a fall away slam and float over by Eddie, which I was really impressed by. Just like it's nice that he can do that against some of the smaller guys. But then just as the match is getting started, Cena and B Squared come out and they cut a rap on Eddie. So Cena's rapping for the second time tonight. Uh, he makes jokes about immigration taking Eddie's green card away and how 1983 want their hairstyle back, even though he doesn't have a mallet anymore. He had that line pre-written. Yeah, I know. Stupid well, Eddie, what are you getting a haircut to... for? Yeah, he even references in the rap that Eddie's got a haircut, he's no longer got the mullet, and then he makes a joke about how Eddie's got a mullet. I guess 1983 took the hairstyle back, what can I say? Um, Kidman clo- then it gets a bit clusterfucky in that Kidman clotheslines Eddie out of the ring, Charvo and B-squared fight into the ring, uh, Rikishi comes down, he beats up B-squared with the referees coming in to break up the melee, after commercial, we see officials trying to drag Rikishi backstage. Chavo and B-Squared have been ejected from ringside. Cena's on commentary, and the match is going on. Yeah. So but a lot of things in the short space of time. There's a lot of moving parts, though, Callum, so it's good. So Eddie hits one of his beautiful tilt-the-world backbreakers. Uh, he goes from a gory special into some sort of weird splash mountain cyclone bomb. And Eddie's just trying. Oh, yeah, he's trying something new, but that looked like just Kidman just fell on his ass from about two feet, and it didn't look that impressive at all. Uh, so I don't think we ever see him do that move again, or at least against someone of Kidman's size. Maybe he could do it against like Mysterio or something, someone he could really get in the air. Yeah, well, Kidman is a cruiserweight champion. Kidman, do your job as a small guy. What are you doing? Uh, Taz and Cena are very chummy-chummy on country, which is funny, considering that less than a month ago... Didn't Taz, Taz locked him beat in his Taz- ass? Yeah, Taz <laughs> locked him in the Taz mission, but they're friends now. So they said that, that everything that happened between them is in the past. They're all buddy-buddy. And Cole talks about the fact that he needs a, a rap to English Dictionary. God damn Cena, it. Cena is showing a lot of character in this in this role, obviously, as the, um, the rapper. But I think on commentary, the fact that he sticks to that rapping gimmick and he doesn't miss a beat any time that he's spoken to is just really, really good. So I think that that's an underrated element of this John Cena character, because I don't really know where it dropped off, maybe around 06, but at some point, like, he just stopped speaking like the rapper character and just started using his real voice. But for a long time, John Cena, the character, only spoke like that. Yeah, so there's a superplex by Eddie to Kidman. Eddie then misses the frog splash. Kidman hits a powerbomb for two. Uh, Kimmy reverses a tilt the world, hits a knee came on for two. Then Eddie commits the fastest, fast becoming the WWE's cardinal sin. Don't ever try and power on Billy Kidman. You know, obviously we don't have Kidman anymore to worry about this with, but th- this is something that they have to stop doing 
When you're in the ring with Ray, you don't go between the middle rope. When you're in the ring with Kidman, don't go for the powerbomb. Come on, Eddie. You've been in the ring with him. So the finish happens where both men bang heads in the corner. Uh, referee checks on Kidman to see if his head's okay. Cena then hits Eddie with the chain. So Eddie's out in the corner. Kidman gets up, hits the shooting star press, wins the match. So Kidman gets a big win over Eddie Guerrero. Um, it was chaotic, but it's probably the best. It was definitely the best ring work we'd seen so far in the evening. So yeah, I'm pretty okay with this. Yeah, I again, I want to like Billy Kidman more, but he's a charisma vacuum. Yeah, and obviously they're now building up towards a feud between Cena and B Squared against the Guerreros. So see now, what I would do here is I would pair some of the workhorses of SmackDown, Rikishi with Billy Kidman, all the charisma and no charisma to balance each other out. With uh, B squared and Cena, and then the Guerreros, and you just do like a triple threat tag match for the belts, and because it's a one and done either way, I think I'm not even sure if Cena and B squared get a championship match. You know? Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll find out in the coming weeks at the very least. Um, there's no preview for Brock being in action tonight because they're digging up the fact that Brock is the biggest star on SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, production then sets up the ring for the wedding. They show a long video package of the whole Dormarie, Tory Wilson, now Wilson storyline, including the indecent proposal and all this other stuff. So, Did you, do you remember when he said, Don, if you don't agree to marry me, I'll just kill myself in the middle of the ring and got that got a pop? I just I want to bring that up because we're not going to have too many more chances to talk about old Don or old Al. And, uh, yeah, what a wonderful time this has been. Uh, so, Al Wilson comes to the ring looking like an OAP Saturday Night Fever guy. <laughs> I genuinely feel like he is living out his, like, I can be a cool guy fantasies. He was the Fonz for Halloween. He looks like Travolta here. Oh, Al. You poor thing. I think it was the earring that really set everything off. Yeah. Um, you can tell the minister for the wedding, obviously Dawn comes out as well, they can tell the minister for the wedding was hoping for some future TV work on the back of this because he's very exuberant with his lines. Well, he's working for one of the hottest brands in the world right now, WWE. Yeah. Uh, the minister asked for any objections, apart from obviously the thousands of people in the audience, they're all saying no. Um, but Dawn Marie objects, saying that she can't marry out like this because she promised that she would do it without her dress on. So Dawn asks Al to unzip her dress. She strips down to some white lingerie. Uh, she teases removing it more, but says that Stephanie won't let her go any further than this. But that Stephanie never mentioned anything about Al Wilson. Oh. And what <laughs> my favorite part about this whole thing is the crowd chanting "Keep it on" in unison. <laughs> I just love these like these chants that you never hear in any real circumstances except right now. <laughs> And just in, like, wrestling fans are a different breed. Mm. So they start chanting, keep it on in unison, as Dormarie removes Al Wilson's clothes until he's left standing in his underwear. Uh, How do you feel? If you're Al Wilson, what are you feeling at this moment? Well, he seems to be okay with it, because Dawn then teases removing the underwear, and he starts dancing. (laughs) (laughs) While she's pulling the the pants down slightly, and then... Keeps it on saying that she's, she stops because she doesn't want the people to see the biggest reason why she's marrying him. Uh, 
And you just you, you just know. I don't care if it's a cliche and it's everything that we've heard. You just know he's back there going, This is so fucking funny. Mm. Look at him, he's dancing in his underwear. It's great. Like you just know he thinks like this is the peak of creativity. Yeah, absolutely. So <sighs> Al recites his vows. He's nearly crying as he gives Dawn the ring. I would be too if I was standing in underwear in front of a crowd of thousands and a TV crowd of millions. Uh, Dawn says her vows. Then the minister announces them husband and wife. They make out falling to the mat. And they leave together happily, arm in arm. And I guess this is one of the very few successful weddings in WWE history. Never said anything about a successful honeymoon, though. No, we'll we'll get to that next week. But uh, but yeah, it's it must be something in the fact that this is the angle they chose to say. Yeah, let's not have anyone interrupt the wedding or anything like that yeah, happening. Tori could easily interrupt. You could have Tori's mother maybe interrupt. I don't know. There are people who could have interrupted this wedding. Just incredible, still on contract, isn't he? Lance Storm is here. I mean. They got a history with Don. Do yeah. something. Uh, so we see Team Angle take a walk backstage towards the ring because it's now time for Chris Benoit and Edge versus well, Team on. Angle. Oh. Does it get any more polar opposite than that? Because we go from Al Wilson and Don Marie getting married in the nude to Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin versus Chris Benoit and Edge in a great wrestling match. Yeah, very, very good uh, wrestling match between these two. Obviously, this is Team Angle's debut as a tag team. Uh, you wouldn't know it. No, they, I mean, obviously, they're very well seasoned. They've both been in OVW for a long time. I don't think they are... I don't I don't know how much they'd have teamed together at this point. They, did, they didn't. Uh, Sheldon, for the most of his time, they were teamed with, with Brock. Yeah, Brock's Haas. obviously been gone for a while. And obviously, Charlie teamed a lot with his brother. Before his brother passed away. And they, they get together and they just like peanut butter and jelly, man. It just, it just works. Yeah, so Benoit very quickly gets Benjamin into a cross-face position, but Haas breaks it up. Uh, Edge at one point is a missile dropkick. Haas grabs the hair of Edge from the apron, then sends Edge into the barricade. That's when they get the heat on them. Angle gets a few shots in when he gets the opportunity from the outside. We then see the very first leapfrog splash, like... I, I I don't know how they described that move, but it's like yeah, I know it's it's where you know Charlie Haas is draping the guy on the rope and they do leapfrog double axe handles, right? Yeah, why does nobody do that move? Anymore? I don't know. It's so why don't Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander do this? You know what? For that matter, there's a lot of team angle moves that nobody does. Nobody does the the power bomb springboard thing that they did. Nobody does the super kick into the German. And you would think at least the super kick into the German would have been taken by now. Yeah, so there's a flapjack by Haas. Then he hits the, gets in the Haas of Pain locked in, but Benoit breaks it up. Edge ducks a kick by Benjamin, hits the face plant. Benoit gets the hot tag, delivers all the clotheslines, all the German suplexes. Um, snap suplex to Benjamin, hits a diving headbutt, but Haas breaks up the pin. Then we see stereo triple German suplexes by Benoit and Edge to both team angle members. This is good, and Edge didn't do those a lot. No, and Edge didn't... I can see why Edge didn't do them as much, because you see, the thing about Benoit's one is that his, he's, he's obviously like a very cerebral worker, but his German suplexes, Benjamin landed flat on his shoulders every single time, perfectly. 
Charlie Haas rolled over onto his neck at least twice in those three German suplexes. Just uh, made me a little bit worried about whether Haas was taking it too recklessly or the edge wasn't as well-versed in delivering German suplexes. I feel like with what I know, it might have been Haas trying to... Like, ah, I'm on TV, I gotta spike myself, you know? So Angle pulls Edge out of the ring, so Benoit then hits him with the baseball slide, knocking him on his ass. Uh, Benoit blocks Benjamin's kick, applies a crossface. Edge then spears Haas out of the way, but Angle dives in, hits uh, Benoit in the back of the head with the title for the DQ. Um, they then start beating up the uh, baby faces for a bit. He um, Haas decks Edge with a crutch. Then Angle gr- angrily grabs Tony Chimmel because Chimmel's announced the fact that they've lost by DQ. He throws him into the ring. He pushes down the referee, chokes Chimmel with a crutch until he announces that Team Angle won the match. I like it. This is a very, this is a very different, more aggressive angle than we see typically. And it's the best Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, when he is pissed and he's wrestling machine, best in the world. Oh yeah, this this the match was good, but the post match stuff was even better. And I just want to throw this out there. Uh, before this match, they announced that SmackDown tonight was brought to you by SmackDown. Shut your mouth, obviously on the PlayStation Two. Dragon Ball Z Budokai also on the PlayStation Two, and the Royal Rumble 2003 is presented by PlayStation Two. Great bits of nostalgia as we enter 2003. And yeah, I just wanted to call that out because PS2 is objectively the greatest console of all time yeah it's definitely one of if not the greatest yeah um after the break we see paul Heyman in the ring saying of how proud he is of team angles athleticism and kurt angles leadership uh he says the crowd is sold out tonight because of his favorite client though and that is the big show big show comes to the ring uh says that he feels empowered standing next to the big show that no one stands up to his dimensions and so Heyman says that they have a challenge for brock lesnar he goes on, he rambles too much in this one. I feel like they're filling time because he just talks about what the Royal Rumble is as if nobody watching has ever seen the Royal Rumble before. It's, about how yeah. like it's 15 from Raw, 15 from SmackDown, the winner gets the title shot at WrestleMania. It's like, yeah, we kind of know this already. I feel like maybe they're acting like, well, if you've never seen WWE before, here you go. Yeah. They do that sometimes. Um, but Heyman says that he doesn't want Lesnar to even have a chance to get to Mania by winning the Rumble. So he challenges him, saying it's going to be Brock Lesnar versus the Big Show at the Royal Rumble, and only the winner gets to enter the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, that's a convoluted uh, stipulation. I mean, I kind of like it, the idea of them saying, OK, well, these are two of the biggest stars on SmackDown, and Heyman doesn't want to even risk the possibility of Lesnar getting into the Rumble and winning the match even if big show was in it as well so you just say okay i need to use big show to make sure that lesnar's not even in the match in the first place i i guess that does make sense uh spoiler alert uh their match at the rumble not as nearly as much fun as their match at survivor series and uh yeah yeah so hangman says uh brock fears the big show when it's the challenge brock can't beat the big show but then brock shows up marches to the ring but before he can get to the ring and take on the big show in a little bit of a preview, he's attacked from behind by Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore with steel chairs, including one shot by Matt Hardy right Bro. to the back of his head. This. Wow. I mean, Matt Hardy has not had his greatest luck with steel chairs or anything really in AEW in uh, 2020. 
with uh, Sammy Guevara obviously splitting him open a hard way by throwing a chair at him beforehand. But maybe this was just that, that was this incident's coming back to Karma, him. Karma, really. yeah, like really, because Brock Lesnar is cut. And, and Brock has one of the biggest backs in wrestling. And you missed all of it to hit him in the back of the head. <laughs> The attitude told him to do it. <laughs> yeah, so he's bleeding heavily from the back of his head afterwards. Uh, Brocklin fights them all off. He clotheslines show out of the ring. He stands tall at the end of it. Um, it's one of those happy accidents, I feel like, because obviously Lesnar, I'm not sure Lesnar would be too happy about the fact that he's busted wide open or busted out from the back of his head. But it's like the, the Becky Lynch thing. It just makes him look like more of a badass. Yeah. They kind of cleaned him up in the segments in between now. No, I think they, they they say it on commentary when they obviously talk about the main event earlier. That commentary says that Lesnar refused medical treatment because he wants to still see the blood, so he's still angry in the match. I thought that was good. I thought that was a nice touch. It is good. It's just like a, it's one of those things where I'm I'm so much more like trepidatious about that stuff now yeah, I than I would have been then. But yeah, yeah, it was good for the time. Yeah, I think I think it's like one of those things of yeah, you'd want to check that he's okay and he's not concussed or anything like that beforehand. But if it is just a cut or anything like that and he feels okay to do it, then I think it just works out well. But uh, after some discussion from Country, we see Funaki catching up with Dormarie and Elwilton entering the limo. They're both still naked. It's January in the dead of night. <laughs> it's just like so probably Elwilton was freezing his. Uh, yeah, you can you can see. That the poor man is cold. Yeah. So Dormarie says that um, they're going to video their entire honeymoon, send live updates to SmackDown. Al then says that he's cold and he wants to warm up with Dawn in the limo. So they both get in the limo. <laughs> and then Funaki, this is the best line of the entire show. It says Funaki stands there outside. He says, like, says, Funaki feels very, very dirty. It's just like, <laughs> obviously he didn't mean it in like some sort of weird situation, but it just feels like gross just talking about this whole thing it's just it's such good delivery that uh, funaki is he's like just a nice little sprinkle of comedy right when you need it and it's all good so before the main event we have a little bit of a palate cleanser ninzio versus crash holly um, so Josh Matthews is out there now doing the ring announcing as well as backstage interviewing because Chimmel was out of commission for the rest of the show because of Team Angle. Josh Matthews looking very uh, 2003 in-sync. sitcom here. Oh, I was thinking very in sync light. Uh, I mean, I mean, very like I'm a nerd, but I can dress kind of cool, and it, it it's just it's great. It's very 2003. Uh, so commentary talks about Noble's losing streak and uh, they show a clip of Ninzio's attack on Crash and how Ninzio's come and revitalized Noble. Obviously, it conveniently misses out the fact that they took a beating the very next week from Bill DeMar in a tag team match. My favorite thing about this is they already have a team Titan Tron, but they'll never team again. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, Crash hits a crossbody immediately to start the match. You can tell that they know they don't have a lot of time, so they're just rushing through everything. Uh, Nunzio goes through the rope, sends Crash shoulder first into the turnbuckle at the same time. Uh, Nunzio t- attacks the left arm and shoulder. Crash does an O'Connor roll, but Nunzio kicks out, sends Crash shoulder first back into the corner. He then hits a tornado arm breaker from the second rope and wins the match. Very good. I, yeah, I don't sure. know too many people who win matches with, with arm breakers, but I liked it. 
Uh, Nidia also showing absolutely no signs of ill feeling towards Nunzio now. Oh, yeah, they dropped all that, too. I noticed that when they came out there. She's like, yay, we're here, and get him, Nunzio. Like, you were just afraid of this, man. Mm. Uh, they then do a tale of the tape for Brock Lesnar and Matt Hardy. Because, haha. Obviously, obviously mm. Brock's a lot bigger one, but it's just the idea. Brock has, like, his list thing, but he only has, in terms of WWE, he has, uh, like... King of the Ring WWE Champion. Yeah, King of the Ring WWE Champion, and then they obviously add the NCAA stuff at the end of it as well. Uh, Hardy, they listed his uh, European Championship, uh, multiple-time tag team champion, multiple-time w- he's a former WCW tag team champion. What was the other one? Uh, they mentioned one other one. I'm can't remember. Hardcore? One. Yeah, hardcore champion, yeah, I think. So, yeah. So, Hardy at this point, he's he's fairly decorated, not as decorated as he would end up being by the time his WWE run ends. Yeah, um, it's pretty impressive that even then, Hardy was one of the more decorated superstars in the whole company. Uh, so Hardy brags to Shannon Moore backstage about making Lesnar bleed and how Moore should have done that the, uh, the same before when he fought Lesnar. That's why he gave Moore a tough lesson in, lesson in Mattitude last week. So obviously we didn't bring up the fact that he's there with Shannon Moore even though he beat up Shannon Moore the previous week. Yeah, but yeah, tough love. Yeah. Uh, Hardy says he's the reason Moore's here so he can't afford any screw-ups tonight. Then we have Brock Lesnar versus Matt Hardy. We, we do. <laughs> oh, this match is so much fun. <laughs> I I... Listen, Brock Lesnar now has a reputation of squashing a lot of people. But this match is just entertaining. Like, he is so much fun just beating the shit out of Matt Hardy. Still bleeding from the head. He's wearing his gym gear. He's not wearing his wrestling gear instead. Oh, you this was like some sort of Smackdown Chat Your Mouth crossover where he put a tire two on instead of a tire one. Yes. Um, Matt's, uh, Matt's thing says he uh, stays awake until the sunrise on New Year's. I know. Yeah. Long nights for Matt Hardy. But we don't get to learn anymore as they charge the ring. Both feet clotheslines from Lesnar. He hits his massive backbreaker to Hardy, followed by a belly-to-belly throw. He then slaps Hardy across the face with his own blood. That, again, even though I do feel like where do we have a different viewpoint on that now, great touch of animalistic, like, I will kill you. I am Brock Lesnar. You don't make me bleed. He hits a pair of running power slams into the corner, hot, hot thing like Hardy in place. Um, Moore grabs Lesnar's foot, so Brock then drags him by his foot, like just moves his foot backwards, and Moore just slides into the ring, then throws him hard to the floor. Uh, Hardy then goes off to the knee of Lesnar, takes him down briefly, uh, but then he's easily thrown off by Lesnar. Uh, he's thrown around a bit more. Hardy throws more into Lesnar, who gets him up in a fireman's carry. He boots Hardy, charging at him, hits the F5. But then Hardy hits the twist of fate, and he gets a two count on Brock Lesnar. So that was nice. That was a nice touch. You know, I, it puts over Hardy's finish well enough that it's like, you know, just one of those could even keep Brock Lesnar down for two, even after all this. But yeah, Brock Lesnar at this point is untouchable and i like his stuff now but this brock lesnar is so much fun yeah so brock reverses another attempt at the twist of fate hits another great f5 to win really fun squash match to main event uh big show and Heyman appear on the stage brock stares them down he grabs hardy again hits another f5 gets the does to close the show sending a message to his opponent for royal rumble and yeah that's the end of it that's the end of this uh, first episode of 2003. I think they kick off the year very well. I mean, I could do without the wedding. 
but uh, we all know that. I think this is a great start to the year. In all honesty, it's a very honest representation of the year. This year on SmackDown revolves around Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, and the Big Show. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, there's there's some good progression here with the... There was a good Eddie Guerrero-Kidman match. The progression with the feud between them and Cena. Cena's getting some more airtime as well. The main event was fun. There was a good tag team match. I Like I say, I could have done without the wedding. I could have done without Bill DeMott and several other, like, just nothing happening matches on this show. But, but yeah, I think overall it's a good start to the year. Yeah, and I mean, obviously some of these are better in retrospect. Like, anything involving Cena, at the time, we probably would have been like, ah, that wasn't necessary, but we know that John Cena is the top star, so it's all going somewhere. So leading into next week, obviously there's going to be some more build towards the Rumble. Uh, brace yourself, Rob. Next week, there are nine matches. What's the, what's the matter? There's, there's no, uh, no hotel segments to get through? There are some hotel segments to get through as well, so we'll be referring to those on top. But they somehow managed to cram nine wrestling matches onto one episode of SmackDown. Uh, I, so, I appreciate it. I imagine they're all like two minutes long. Uh, I think when I looked at it earlier, the longest match went less than seven minutes. That's so, crazy. So, but that also that includes matches, uh, single matches with Edge against Charlie Haas and Kristen Moore against Shelton Benjamin. Amazing. Also, We'll get to see Matt Hardy against Billy Kidman in non-title match at the moment. We get to see very exciting. Uh, Big Show versus Rikishi. Of course. Uh, we have uh, Jamie Noble versus Tajiri. That's got to be a, a top five. Uh, Bill DeMott versus Shannon Moore. Why? Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> we have um, John Cena versus Chavo Guerrero and B Squared versus Eddie Guerrero. I don't like that the Guerreros are babyface. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, get to see. we'll get to see. I mean, they've got a lot of charisma and they're very good in the ring. Yeah, um, I mean, I know it's going somewhere. It's just like it comes out of nowhere mm. and it really just feels like uh, you could do more with them as heels. And Brock Lesnar versus A-Train in the main event. To, uh, that's some big beef, meat right there. Bitches, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what we have to look forward to as well as the uh, honeymoon segments between... Uh, Dawn Marie and Al Wilson, so we'll be talking about that as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah, so that's uh, January the 9th for you. But for now, obviously, well, hopefully, obviously you've in, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode, so we just need to leave you with a few plugs to send you on your way. Of course, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the Patreon is a great way to help support us by putting a bit of a spare change into the coffers of the Smart Cat Moment team. Uh, if you are a part of the Dark Hearts tier, which is $10 or above, then you get to listen to all our extra pay-per-view reviews that we do on top of these uh, weekly shows so the next one obviously coming up will be the royal rumble but you can check out all the catalog from 2002 there as well it's a archive there so you can just check them out at your leisure um other ways you can support obviously if you're watching through youtube there's the applause function or you can join us membership as well it gives you similar benefits as well and there are the red bubble and tea public shops as well if you want to pick up some smart cat moment merchandise while you're while you're just browsing around just any way you can obviously support us but if you aren't in the don't have the capacity to give any money at this point in time, that's totally fine. You can help us obviously by checking out the website, smilecatmoment.com, checking out all the great articles, check out um, 
yeah, just any of the articles, fantasy league tournaments that when they're whenever they're running, just check all that stuff out there. Follow Small Cat Moment on Facebook and on Twitter. Join the Mega Maniacs Facebook group, which is where you can just get involved and talk about stuff with like-minded wrestling fans. Check out uh, when we do like pay-per-view shows. We usually have like a long-running comment section there as well. We can get involved. Just leave your thoughts on the show as they're going on. Uh, check out Tony's Tony Mango, obviously the head honcho here at Small Cat Moment. Fanboys Anonymous as well is his other major project where you get all the geek culture stuff, movies, television, uh, comic books video games all that discussion over on fanboysanonymous.com check out their patreon their redbubble their tea public everything to do about all their stuff on social media as well rob where can we find you here's where you can find me so we, we thank you first of all and we i will just add on to that now that it is 2021 part of the reason that is so important is because tony who we love dearly does have his own wedding to pay for and Unlike Don and Al, they're not going to just throw away their wedding dress and get married in the nude. So he's got to pay for stuff. So, yeah, any money at all you can give towards anything Smart Cut Moment related is greatly appreciated. But as for me, welcome to a crazy week of wrestling. So you can find me on Fightful.com. I think I'm covering new, what is it, uh, Wrestle Kingdom, New Year's Evil, New Year's Dash. Uh, New Year's Smash from AEW, Kings of Coliseum. All of that is coming this week to Fightful.com. Check me out there. Check me out on Twitter at DudeFelice. And just keep supporting, and we thank you so much. And once again, Happy New Year. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, of course, at Wigmeister14. Of course, Happy New Year to everyone. Hopefully this year is significantly better than the previous one. I doubt it can get any worse, but I don't really want to jinx myself too much by, by breathing that into existence. But hopefully you have a great year. We hope to have a great year as well. And yeah, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. But for now, this has been another Smart Count moment and we are being counted out.